Hi there, I'm Greg from Kapow. Visit us at kapow.com to check out our unique collection of everyday reusable products designed to help you do more with less. C-U-P-P-O-W.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Farms Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. Today, we're talking to Jack from Southern California, and he's from Elwood Canyon Farms. Uh, he's one of a team of mules, I mean, guys, working on that farm. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hey, how's it going? I'm, I, it seems like you're very distant, kind of hard to hear. I know. It's a really janky transmitter, so just improvise if you can't really hear me. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a real hard time hearing you. I'm sorry. Um, you're not alone. Do you want to just okay, introduce I heard that. yourself? <laughs> I'm not alone. That's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to introduce yourself? Where did you come from, and how did you get where you're farming now? Okay, sure. Yeah, I, I grew up out in the Imperial Valley in a town called Brawley. It's in the desert in southeastern California. Um, a lot of agriculture down there. It's a lot of wintertime uh, produce growing. And I spent the first 18 years of my life there. And um, then I ended up moving to Santa Barbara. Went to, went to school at Santa Barbara, kind of trying to get away from agriculture, not necessarily get away from it, but I always really liked the coast and the uh, and the ocean, and I just never saw myself living in the desert. So I didn't see myself getting into farming, came up here for school and kind of fell in love with the area. And, and then as I was trying to figure out what to do to stick around here, I ended up um, starting a farm, which obviously is a little longer story than that. But uh, here I am about eight years later farming in Goleta, California, um, yeah, for about eight years now, and I'm I'm 32 so years old currently. One of the things that happens in uh, the general literacy of the young farmers is that we're limited to knowing about the valleys where we know people, or that there's journalism that happens. And the Imperial Valley uh-huh. is not a place where a lot of journalism happens, except for that amazing book called Imperial that I just started reading. That's just like an epic. But uh, I wonder if you could just go a little deeper into explaining what goes on down there um, in irrigated agriculture world along the border. Well, uh, you're, you're talking about the Imperial Valley, but I'm not. I didn't really pick up any of that. <laughs> um, just tell us about tell us about the Imperial Valley. Just tell us. Okay, about so what the Imperial happened. Valley was basically. Um, and I want to say in the 20s, and I should know my history better. I'm I'm not very, uh, I don't know much, but I know in the 20 issues they they sold it off as farm ground, with water rights to the Colorado River. Uh, my my great grandfather 
was one of the original people that went down there and bought land. Um, it was sold off as kind of winter produce growing ground, you know, real good winter climate with this good water source, you know, come down and farm in the desert. And um, so since then, it was created, you know, it's a handful of small towns that were really created around agriculture, and it's a really cool, unique climate down there because in in December, January, and February, you can be harvesting all sorts of different vegetables and, and, and items that um, you're not able to grow, you know, most other areas in the, in the country. So it gives you kind of a good, good. It's short but good growing season as far as as far as fresh fresh produce goes. So well, isn't that valley making like eighty five percent of the winter lettuce? <laughs> yes, exactly. And just they, Winter lettuce, as well as a hand, quite a bit of other vegetables, the high percentage, I don't know what it is, comes out of the Imperial Valley for, for a couple months every winter. And so what are the issues in the Imperial Valley uh, for agriculture? Obviously, highly reliant on irrigated water from elsewhere. I'm, I'm sorry, say that uh, one more time. What, what's the what? What are the issues? What are the problems? The problems? Yeah, why aren't you there? Why am I not there? Is that what you asked? Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I should be there from a farming standpoint. My family has really good farm ground, um, really good people down there, friends and family that I love. My issue is I, I, I love the ocean and the coast, and uh, I'm just not a desert person. I, I kind of have my ocean routine, and that's really important to me, so it's that's kind of created my life up here. Um down the line, there's there's potential to maybe have some of our production down in the Imperial Valley and, and farm some of my family's ground while we still also farm up here. But, um, yeah, if I were to just look it up from a farming perspective, uh, it would probably be a lot easier set up down there as far as, uh, you know, it's what my family's done for a long time, and, and it's a really good climate and grounds... Uh, uh, plentiful and water, and there's and there's a lot of water even even currently, which which we're struggling with where I'm currently farming. <laughs> ground both both. Yeah, ground so and water so let's are, talk are about that. Coming tight. from the kind of land you came from, what made you choose the land you're on, and what were some of the factors uh, considering, and and navigating getting lease access to the land that you have now. So coming from the ground I'm coming from and, and then transitioning up here, I'm, you're breaking up with something like that? Yeah, just improvise. You're never going to understand because the phone is too big. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I mean, I came from, in, in the world of farming, I came from, Imperial Valley is all very large acreage, traditionally very conventional farms. Um, so I came from uh, my dad and uncle's farm on a scale of, you know, 2,500 acres of, of produce, um, most of it lettuce. Uh, they they rotate with wheat and they grow a lot of sugar beets and then you know they'll they'll try other different they've grown quite a bit of different stuff throughout the years and then sweet sweet onions is the other big ones but all very very large acreage um, so it's very mechanized very scaled up and a more conventional approach whereas the farming I kind of originally you know and I and I worked in that and grew up around it like I said I never was really I didn't grow up in this, I grew up in town. And I, I, I worked at my dad's shed or different things, but I was never kind of the kid that knew he wanted to be a farmer. So I wasn't really that involved in it. Kind of when you're young, you don't appreciate it. You kind of, it's not the cool thing when you're when you're in it kind of um, situation. 
So my real beginnings with farming were more up here when I was on the coast, and I was involved on a little two-acre organic farm transitioning from growing cut flowers and doing a little uh, mixed vegetable CSA to offer the local community, um, which is the kind of total opposite spectrum in the farming world from from where I'd come from. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you're really asking, but that... that, yeah. What was the land that you have now? I remember you saying that there's a couple of pieces of land, and that uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge figuring out how to get access. I know that there's more competition. How do I get access to the friend. land I have now? I think that's what you asked. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So originally, well, I worked for another guy. I, I was kind of... Uh, started getting into farmer's markets and, and local produce and really liked, you know, fresh vegetables. I had a little garden in my house. And when I was done with school and kind of uh, – I was actually working Smith Barney, an office job for a while, and decided I didn't want to do that. And so I was kind of just doing uh, young, odd job stuff. And I ended up meeting a guy and getting involved with helping him write a business plan to do uh, – convert from – from growing cut flowers to start doing organic vegetables and do a CSA, which at the time, a uh, girl I was dating, her her brother was involved in CSA, and I thought it was a really cool deal and it was kind of like something I was really interested in. So I helped them, learned the whole process, ended up doing more than writing the plan and did the tractor work and kind of got real involved from the ground up on that little two-acre farm, realized I really liked doing that, um, there was something in, in me that did like growing stuff and agriculture, so that that only lasted for about a year. Um, I didn't. I, I ended that job. I was kind of doing gardening stuff around town, and I I didn't really think it was realistic to farm in Santa Barbara because who really farms in Santa Barbara and where's the ground? And it's not really known as a big produce growing area. Um, but sure enough, a couple acres came up for rent. A, a buddy of mine, who's now my business partner, Jeff, who also grew up in the Imperial Valley was working at a nursery, and there was two acres that a guy had been doing cut flowers, and he was leaving the ground, opportunity to lease it. Uh, he called me up, and I wasn't really tied to the job I was doing. I thought it was sounded great. I, I called my dad. He, he thought I was crazy, <laughs> but he kind of backed me and helped me out, so I started leasing two acres, you know, on a larger 20-acre property, a little corner field. And that original year just, you know, did probably a 15- or 20-person CSA and was all doing all the work myself and started slowly getting into farmer's markets. Um, we kind of expanded onto a couple other smaller, couple-acre, and then and then a 10-acre property and getting into more farmer's markets. I partnered up with the guy that I'm now business partners with on it in year, about after year one, and um, he's been with me since then, and it's kind of just been a slow growth. You know, we're now at we're now at 50 acres total. So in the last seven years, we've slowly grown up to where we're at now, and we've you know we still do the farmers markets. We we no longer do a CSA. We sell the local restaurants and the local grocery stores, um, and we've, in the last few years especially, have developed a lot of a more kind of wholesale, lar- larger volume business with, with different um, kind of distribution companies and, and larger grocery store chains and whatnot. Um, and that's kind of the current state we're in right now. We just, we just took over a new property. 
we're kind of growing what we're doing, figuring out really what our, our niche set of crops are that we really have an advantage for in, in our climate here, which is really, we actually have a really great climate in Goleta. It's south, south-facing coast, and so it's real mild. We can do, we can do pretty good year-round production. And so we're, we're on a really cool property right now with a lot of opportunity, but at the same time, a lot of challenges with with the water situation um, in the area, and and with we're lucky to have this property where we actually do have some good ground and and, and growth potential, and you know an opportunity to 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 grow some really good healthy healthy crops. Um, well, so not everybody in our listener base is from California or knows the latest news of the, what the sky is bringing down. And maybe you could just give a little summary of the water situation in California around you and kind of generally. Okay. Um, to be honest, I'm no expert on the, on the – you asked the water situation in California. That's fairly complex, um, and I wouldn't want to speak on that too much. The, the, the water situation in my little micro world of Goleta – is it's the Goleta Water District is supplied by Lake Kachuma, which is on the other side of the the coastal mountain range here, and the lake is at 14% capacity, and we just got through winter basically. We're not expecting any more rain, and it'll be all dried up. It's uh, very soon, so the Goleta Water District's source of water is running dry. They already enacted water rates, which <clears throat> you know they tripled. They went up over 300%. Last summer, we had these drought surcharges, and so basically the, the water district rate is, is unprofitable as, as in, in a farming stance. So we've, we've had to drop a couple of our properties. Um, thank goodness we kind of just picked up a property that we do have a well on. Uh, it's only one well. It's probably really only enough for maybe 15 or 20 acres. Um, we're looking to rehab another well. It's an aquifer that is holding now and seems strong, but I think the real big picture is even even the aquifers are starting to get weak. So it's just real um, scarce. I mean, the, the big picture is water is very scarce, so prices are going way up, and and, uh, and it really, that really makes you nervous when uh, when you're farming. Well, I was looking at water situations down uh, in Ventura County, and it was the water meter is seventy dollars a month. Just to be on, plus usage, and usage can go up three, four, five hundred dollars a month if you're just drippy or gaining um, an acre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're talking about rates in Ventura, but yeah, imagine, I'm talking about imagine. rates in Ventura, and don't worry. Um, yeah, it's, so it's do really you expensive. See, like so just a comparison, of, I think we pay right now Galita Water District, which we're not. We're right now not watering any crops on on these rates. We kind of gave up as soon as they enacted them. But I want to say it's close to, to $2,000 per acre foot. Um, don't quote me on that. Somewhere around there. And I know, like, we're in the Imperial Valley where my dad and uncles are farming, they're paying more like, you know, 20 bucks per acre foot. Um, Holy moly. Technically, in the in the larger world of produce, you know you're you're all, you're competing against people all over all over California and even you know Mexico and throughout. But to have those that that big cost is is a big hindrance to really to really be competitive in what you're doing. And, and you know beyond it being unaffordable, the, the scary situations were really just really short on water. <laughs> 
And so here you are coming from big ag, going into micro ag, and now getting into medium ag. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be when you grow up? And <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I, I don't think there's any, like, big, big um, end-all goal by any means. I, I want to get to a phase where I'm happy and healthy and, you know, the business is sustainable and, and um, profitable and, you know, a, a good a good size that we can do what we're doing and do it well and, and pay our bills and have, have happy employees and, and customers and, and that, that kind of thing. Um, there's, there's no real specific goals other than, other than just to be good at what we're doing and, and make it all work. Well, it seems like you have a very devoted customer base. Um, I'm. I was. I was dragged over to your farm by one of your true fans who distributes down to LA, doing boxes to the LA food scene, which it seems, from my basic analysis, is growing in leaps and bounds. And there's huge demand for healthier food and raw food and live food and this, that, and the other thing. I wonder if you could reflect on some of these alternative distribution systems that are popping up. Uh, and for young growers who maybe are listeners here or haven't, who, you know, I'm just in Portland, Maine right now. We're going to do a Maine sale freight event tonight. And every single cafe is full of CSAs I've never heard about just getting started up, trying to get their numbers together. And uh, it just and the market, the farmers market here is pretty saturated already. So, um, those who are considering coming in are considering uh, learning more about other ways. Can you talk about some pros and some cons from your experience dealing with these buying clubs, et cetera? Yeah, um, I, I can't ca- didn't catch all of that, but basically, a really good customer base in LA and kind of the new. Um, real demand for, for local fresh and organic um, produce and, and different types of products. Um, and then and then entry into that and how, what are the different challenges and di- of, of different types of markets at, at being a grower? Is that yes. kind of what you're asking? Yes. Um, yeah, so, we you know, we've done it all in the last seven years from, from doing the CSA to doing uh, a lot of farmer's markets to, to restaurants and, and little grocery stores to big ones and, and large companies and everything in between. And currently we're still doing all of that except we don't do our own CSA. We, we do support other people that do kind of the, the CSA or, or the subscription service, um, you know, middle middle person type business. Um there's, there's, in, in, long story short, there's advantages and disadvantages to, to all of them. I think, I think the biggest advice is that as a grower, and this is just, you know, we're still figuring this out. You know, really feel, feel what you're good at. Get, get your niche and what it is you want to grow and what, what you're trying to do, and then offer that in a way, and, and you'll, you'll find your customers. And, you know, depending on the, the size of what you're doing, that, that'll also dictate. You know what style of customers you're looking for, um, and I feel like the demand is very real for really, really good fresh produce and you know organic and, and consciously kind of raised stuff. Um, so, 
if you can really put the hard work in and you know the money and everything that it takes to to build your dream or what whatever product is that you're trying to produce, if it's something you're good at, um, I, I think the connections, the opportunity is, is very much there. Um, I know that was kind of vague, but uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily think like oh wholesale wholesale is definitely the best way to go. That's that's where it's been or. Or CSAs are no good, or or farmers markets are the greatest or the worst. They all they all kind of have their advantages and different advantages, and depending on what you're going for, they they can different one different avenues can be good for different different operations. Um, and and I know for us it's really that's been tough to try to do all of them, and I don't think that's the best way to do it. And we're we're starting to focus more on ones than others. But I wouldn't necessarily say that that's what I'd recommend for everyone. It kind of just depends on on your situation and what what works for you. Well, I'm sure glad that you guys are going at the way you're going, and I hope that there's more and more um, startups that can start, start keep starting down in the larger LA food shed region. Uh, it seems it seems to be scarier down there as a starting as a starter, but I I think your encouragement goes a long way. I want to make sure to make an announcement that's specific to the area down there, which is on April 23rd and 24th, which happens to be Earth Day weekend. Um, Vonda and the Shiva will be speaking at the Oak Grove School in Ojai, California, and at the Ojai Grange as part of this. Bring Skills series, where there's workshops work every work. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> workshops almost every week, all spring long. We'll have two citrus-oriented workshops. One is on Saturday. It's a community rights training. It's a lawyer coming or an organizer coming from um, a background in community organizing for community rights, fighting against fracking, fighting against pipelines, fighting against water pollution using a community rights framework and considering the prospects for a campaign around the ACP spraying, the Asian citrus psyllid spraying, and the larger California Department of Agriculture mandated area-wide spraying of imidacloprid and other neonicotinoids and persistent poisons in the, in the environment and on the field. And then that's on Saturday, the 23rd of April. On the 24th of April, we'll have a community soil testing workshop in the morning at the Grange and in the afternoon. It's a citrus grafting workshop with John Valenzuela. From, he's from the North Bay and he's part of the California Rare Fruit Growers Exchange as a exchanger of scion wood across California. And he will be teaching the audience and the participants of which we are welcome to join how to graft between varieties and have multiple varieties on a tree, on citrus trees and um, we'll be involving ourselves in a long philosophical conversation about the future of citrus um, in Southern California, its history and prospects in an changing climate. So um, if you're in the Southern California region, come on over, check out the Ojai Valley Grange. There's a lot going on there, and hope to see you on that weekend. Please RSVP. Any announcements you want to make before we, before we uh, phase out of this? Oh, no announcements. 
Uh, I hope everybody's okay and have a good time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.